Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Bullett, and I'm an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, not cracking up nearly as much as I'd hoped at that introduction, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. We're actors. We're the opposite of people. <laughs> Since you actually are an actor, yes, I, I, I don't know if you could speak to the veracity of that. Yeah. Uh, no, that's accurate. <laughs> the things that people do in private to keep away from private eyes, we do in public. <laughs> On okay. a stage for all to see. Okay, then. That's paraphrasing. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah, because what we're talking about today is people who are, I hate to use this phrase because it's been overused, internet famous. They are celebrities. <laughs> you really like that, don't you? I love it because Celeb- I am one. Uh, okay. From well, a very tiny, tiny way of, if you, you have to generously... <laughs> Give me the benefit of the doubt to call me a celebrity. Well, some some of us are less comfortable with that, but other people have used the internet to go out and try to make a name for themselves and, and possibly become internet famous or actually even real time, you know, real world famous out on the on the big screen and the little screen and on the radio and all what all else. And we decided that it'd be kind of interesting to talk about that because you know uh, it. it I, I know that none of our audience is surprised to know this. We're, we're in this generation of people that is very comfortable uh, with the Internet. Um, and I, I mean that for all age ranges now. My my 86-year-old dad is, is comfortable with the Internet. So, you know. Yep. But, yeah, we're all, we're all pretty familiar with this. It's, it's not hard to make a name for yourself uh, on – For good or ill. For good or ill on uh, venues like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Flickr. And, and all the other similar sites. Right. Um, and, you know, so the the thing is, there are a lot of people out there. How do you go about doing it? And yeah. we, we picked some people that we thought it would be kind of interesting to look into um, and, and talk about how they managed to make themselves into minor and in some, in a lot of cases, major celebrities. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- because when you look at the traditional routes to getting success, especially in the arts, uh, anything as a musician, as an actor, as a writer, yeah, uh, you know, going the old media route, there's a pretty high barrier to entry. Well, there are a lot, a whole lot of talented people out there. Yeah, it's it's obvious uh, in just checking in with some of these sites um, that I mentioned a few minutes ago that you there are a lot of talented people out there who may or may not be signed to a major recording or writing uh contract yeah and uh you know the these uh these tools give us an opportunity to to check in with with some of them and and see, see what, what they're, they're capable about. Of doing yeah there there are tons of people that, well let's put it this way if you were only able to consume content by listening to the radio by watching television by going to movies that mm-hmm. kind of thing you would see a certain range of artists and uh, and of various um, disciplines. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. You would see a certain range of music video directors. You'd see a certain range of uh, musicians and singers and, and bands, that sort of thing, uh, actors, writers, that kind of thing. But 
there'd be a large number of people you would never see because they just didn't have whatever it was, like whether it was luck or the right opportunity, they didn't know the right person. They have the talent, but not the venue to reach an audience. Well, the web really helped take care of that problem. The web kind of created an equal ground for people to reach an audience. You didn't have to sign a contract with a major label in order to get your uh, your content on the web. Yep. So you, you didn't have to you didn't have to answer to anyone else. You didn't have to meet that person's expectations because what happens if, you know, I'm a movie studio executive and you, you are. Chris we're going to do a hypothetical here. Oh, hypothetical! You're such a good actor. I, I know. I was so momentarily confused. Ra ba ba! I don't want to green light it. There you go. That's my movie studio executive. Um, ra ba ba! And uh, but let's say I'm a mo- yeah. movie studio executive, and Chris comes and he pitches an idea to me for a movie or a television show. Mm-hmm. And uh, in which case, yeah, JB, look at this. Here's your problem. You're pitching a TV show to a movie executive. Um, but no, let's say you're pitching your idea to me, and I'm either having a bad day or I just don't get the concept. I don't see how it could be successful. Yes. And it's not that the concept is bad. It's just that I'm a human being. I have my own set of biases and preferences. And so I say no to that. And then Chris walks off a broken and humiliated man. So typical Thursday. And anyway, we uh, we then get to a point where, you know, Chris Chris has been demoralized. He, he has less uh, impetus to go out and try and push for it again. And if you get a, a series of rejections, which, by the way, if you're an actor or artist, life is a series of rejections. Yeah. Um, you know, it can it can really take the, the wind out of your sails. But then let's say that Chris decides, hey, you know what? This thing I have would work as a web video series. So what I'm going to do is, for less money than it would take to do a television show or a movie, I'm going to get together the best possible people I can for the budget I have, which, granted, is still not going to be insignificant for many of these projects. Mm -hmm. In a lot of cases, it's a big risk, and you are pouring a lot of money into it. It's just, it's a lot of money on a different scale, right? Yeah. It might be a few thousand dollars, which is still a lot of money for most of us, mm-hmm. as opposed to several million dollars for television or hundred million dollars for a movie or, you know, and albums also. I mean, record companies, same sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but go about the web and then, you know, you as long as you register a space or you use something like YouTube to uh, to upload your content to, you've got the platform there. You don't have to jump through any hoops with the television companies or the, the movie studios. Um, it's it's still a challenging road, but it has a much lower level of entry than the traditional media. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's, let's actually use some examples and talk about some people who use the Internet to kind of launch their careers. Okay. Now, I, I wanted to point out, too, that in, in some ways this is scary to the major entertainment properties because oh definitely but well it's it's sort of a uh a good and a bad thing though because yeah. uh, on the bad side um since i started off with that you know it, it, you go well great you know how am i supposed to a, a lot of a lot of the executives i've seen quoted say well you know our company is a way of weeding out the people who are you know the most talented and putting them in the the spotlight and and that those who are of lesser talent uh we reject and that that means that anything that we do has you know we've already vetted this for the consumer right. well, and then there's some there is some truth in that i would say cuz i've you know everybody knows somebody who ha- is you know 
that thing like, oh, look, I, I wrote a book or, you know, check out my band. And you go, yeah, that's great, man. Or that's check awesome. out my public access television show. Exactly. Exactly. But then you every once in a while you run into somebody, you go, wow, you're really good. Yeah. How the heck did you not get famous already? And that is why the big media properties have tuned in. And are starting to find people. And that's what brings us to our podcast today is some of these, some of the people we're going to talk about, uh, are people who went, you know, the major executives have gone, uh, uh, Mr. Johnson, we need to sign this kid up. Yeah. So, so let's talk about some of them. Okay. Let's talk, uh, I wanted to talk a bit about, let's talk about a guy who really as, is kind of the definitive internet celebrity as far as, uh, geek music goes. Okay. So we're talking about, a certain Jonathan Colton. Ah, uh, yes. Now the, I, the code monkey. Yeah, the code monkey. Now I have to, uh, I have to admit that I, I my first interaction, where I, I didn't, I haven't had an interaction. My first uh, knowledge of Mr. Colton came from a certain person that we met one day, uh, a friend of the Stuff You Should Know gang, uh, Mr. Hodgman. Ah, yes. John Hodgman and 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 Jonathan Colton are friends. Yes. And uh, the first time I encountered him was when. Uh, Mr. Colton was playing backup on the, uh, the Hobos song. Right. Would you call it a song? Uh, on, there's music to it. <laughs> there is music to it. And he managed to play it, uh, all the way through. It's like 15 minutes long. Yeah. Without making a mistake. And I, I don't know that I've ever played that long without a mistake. Uh, certainly not guitar. I don't think, um, I, I don't think I've seen Jonathan Colton play 15 minutes without a mistake since then. <laughs> But uh, but you go back and I, I said who who is this Jonathan Colton guy and then I checked out his catalog and wow yeah so what Jonathan Colton did was he was working as a, a coder a programmer at one point and mm-hmm. then decided um, he made a he made a big decision he decided he was going to really make a go of it to be a professional musician and mm-hmm. it was a scary thing I mean he was he he's a family yes. man mm-hmm. he's not just it's not just some single guy he's a family man. Um, but it was a scary notion to to leave what you know behind, to leave a steady job behind, yes, and to try and make it as a musician. Yes, it is. Yeah, uh, Chris is nodding at me knowingly. As a uh, a fellow musician, he can he can attest to this personally. As an actor, I can tell you that I never had the uh, the guts to try and make it as an actor, as that as my primary occupation. In Atlanta, it's particularly difficult. But no matter what what market you're in, uh, it's tough. It gets a little easier once you have a following, but you have to have a pretty big following <laughs> before so, it gets to be a, a the 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 comfort level gets to be okay. What? I mean, even even uh, Scott Adams of Dilbert. Yeah. Um, not that he's a he doesn't fall into this category, but he was drawing Dilbert and got syndicated before he ever left his day job. Right. Um, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly, so that's you know, and I think of him as a a famous uh, a famous cartoonist now, but sure. at the time he created some security for himself before he jumped ship, and that's not what Jonathan Colton did. No. So what Colton decided to do was he he created a blog. Yes, and he began to he he did this pub um, this project called Thing a Week. Yes, the idea I like Thing a Week. Thing a Week was, I mean, it was a very ambitious project. the mm-hmm. The idea of the project was that he would write, produce, and record a, a song each week for a year. Mm-hmm. So for a full year, he would produce a a song, and then he would put it up on the blog and allow people to listen to it for free. Yes. Uh, 
And this produced, he produced several songs that have since become uh, some of the standards that he plays at his concerts. Uh, Colton's been playing for quite some time now, and he's released a lot of his music on the internet, a lot of it under a, uh, a license that allows you to download the music for free, and you can even use it as long as you're not using it in a, uh, a way to to make money yourself. Yes, you promoting can, your own products. Yeah, you can use it, like you can remix it, you can set it to videos, that sort of thing. Uh, for a lot of his music, um, but he also was offering music for sale on his site, and he, mm-hmm. he even gave people the option. He said, if you want to steal my music, go ahead and steal my music. I'm giving you the opportunity to download it for free if you want to. Mm-hmm. If you think my music's worth paying for, then please purchase my music. And people began to buy his music. They wanted him to keep making music, and that was the thing. They knew that if they did not pay him, that they did not buy his music then he would have no recourse but to not do this anymore. Right, right. Well, he, you know, at least not in the way that he's doing it now. Right. Uh, because basically it's it, it sort of reminds me of the old style um, uh, models where you where artists had a patron. Right. Like the uh, the yes. old composers uh, centuries ago who would have a king who would commission works from them on a regular basis. Painters as well. Michelangelo, yes. Leonardo da Vinci. These mm-hmm. are guys who had patrons who would uh, give them room and board and pay them a salary to create art. Yeah. And and now um, artists like Jonathan Colton can say, hey, you know, if it's worth five bucks to you, send me a five. And yeah. I will, you know, I won't take a day job again and I will continue to write music more frequently. So, and I can share this with more people. So, you know, it pays the web bill. <laughs> right. And Colton still does the music thing. He still does tours. He'll, he'll, he plays, uh, uh tours quite a bit. And I, I've seen him play probably five or six times. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and you are his patron. I am, I am his patron. I sat front row center for the last show that, uh, I, I saw him in and, uh, got to exchange in witty stage banter, which is also known as heckling. Uh, but I wasn't really heckling. It was more of a goofy little conversation. I think next time I'll be quiet because I'm not nearly as funny as I think I am. Anyway, uh, he, Jonathan Colton's seen quite a bit of success, and he's yeah. remained an independent artist um, and still does release music on his blog and you can still purchase things. Now, not all the songs are available for free anymore, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but many of them still are. And uh, and you can still purchase his, his music directly from him. And, um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, in case you were wondering, he also is the guy who wrote the song at the end of the Portal game. Yes, Still, still alive. alive. And he also wrote the song that will be at the end of Portal 2. Yes. So... Uh, he Still actually, alive too? He 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 spilled the beans on that yeah, on did. Twitter, uh, and then realized that maybe he shouldn't have. But anyway, <laughs> but now the word is out. Not that that's a bad thing. It just drove up excitement because everyone loved that song so much. Yeah, yeah. So Jonathan Colton really managed to leverage the web in a a big way, and he also he values the interaction with his fan base. You know, he doesn't ignore them. He doesn't just set his stuff up on the web and then say, here you go, and then walks away. Right. Uh, He maintains a nice, healthy relationship with his fan base. And so that's really helped cultivate very loyal fans who will go to as many shows as they possibly can and buy all his music. So he really... He really nailed it when you when it comes to using the internet as a platform to market yourself and to get your work out there for people to enjoy. Mm-hmm. 
it doesn't hurt that he's a, a bona fide geek who really does love science and technology and the sort of stuff that people who are really devoted to the internet, the same kind of things they're interested in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Yep. So who else do you want to talk about? I was going to talk about uh, Rooster Teeth Productions. Ah, uh, yes. We Well, we've actually sort of talked about them before. Yes, we have. Uh, Rooster Teeth is the production company that produced the web series Red vs. Blue, mm-hmm. which, of course, is the Machinima series. It uses the Halo game engine as uh, digital puppets for the, the scripts that they wrote, which when when it first started off, uh, Red vs. Blue was really just kind of a vehicle for jokes about how boring it is to be in the military. Mm-hmm. And how sometimes decisions in the military seem to defy all common sense. Right. So it was kind of a surreal satire in a way, sort of on the level of Catch Twenty Two, but with more curse words, and uh, and any and more surreal humor. But Rooster Teeth created this model where these guys who had worked in commercials and worked on uh, uh, another website that was called Drunk Gamers back in the day. They used to do ske- sketches and things like that. Um, they got together and they started doing this series. And the model that Rooster Teeth used was uh, uh, to upload videos to their website, and then they invited people to become sponsors. Mm-hmm. So you could become a sponsor for, I think it was $20 when it started off. And for $20, you would get access to special videos they would make that they would only make available to sponsors. Mm-hmm. You'd also get to see the videos early. So I think like uh, two days before everyone else could see them, you could watch the episode. And at the end of the first season... All the sponsors got a DVD of all the episodes that were produced during that first season of Red vs. Blue. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, that was how they initially began to fund Red vs. Blue. Since then, they still uh, Rooster Teeth gets gets revenue from a variety of sources. They produce commercials for video game companies. They uh, they also sell advertising on the videos that they have. So you might watch a pre-roll ad before a Rooster Teeth video. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also have advertising on their website. Um, and, you know, they, they sell merchandise and they sell DVDs of the shows that they've done. Plus, they still have the subscription base. So you, if you pay that, that uh, subscription price, you do still get exclusive content and you get to see stuff early. Mm-hmm. So that model really worked for them. They've been around for, I think, eight years now, maybe close to nine. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty impressive that they've managed to make that work. So again, this is a company that, you know, they had some fun fun ideas, but they would probably never have made a break into either the independent film circuit or the television circuit based upon what they were doing. I mean, it would be really hard to to get a foot in on those doors. Uh, instead, they went with using the web as their delivery system. And since then, now they have shown their stuff at independent film festivals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They've, they've shown an entire season as a movie. And, uh, and so that again is a good internet success story. And, and also like Jonathan Colton, they have a community of users. They have a message board where people can comment. They can comment on, on the various videos. And, uh, they also have interaction with their fans. Like they even will go on Xbox Live and play games with their fans. Mm-hmm. In fact, they, they invented a, um, a type of gameplay for Halo called Griffball. Really, and it's named See, after one of the that. characters from Red vs. Blue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whoever whoever is the uh, the person with the Griff ball in the game turns the color that Griff is in Red vs. Blue, which is kind of a yellowish orange. Mm-hmm. Um, supposed to be orange. I maintain that it still looks yellow. <laughs> but anyway, so Rooster Teeth Productions is, has seen a lot of success that way, and and 
it's really impressive to to kind of see where they came from and how a group of guys who had this kind of silly idea managed to turn it into a viable entertainment business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, um, we were talking about the uh, some of these folks. I started thinking about people that uh, I saw getting picked up mm-hmm. for after working on online. Now, um, one of the first people that came to mind was Amanda Congan, mm-hmm. uh, formerly of Rocket Boom. Mm-hmm. Uh, she and her partner had started um, Rocket Boom, which was a little uh, daily... Would you call it a newscast kind of thing that was shown on the web? Kind of. It was, yeah. it was newsy-ish, and um, they actually had a big, pretty well public falling out. Um, she and her business partner disagreed on on how things should be run, so she left, um, started a a blog, and then eventually got picked up by ABC News um, as an anchor, and now has has left and is doing other projects. Um, but uh, that's kind of interesting to to imagine that is you know really you can start your own show and just get picked up. I mean I think that's also what you could say about uh, people like the Lonely Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not familiar, they are a, uh, a comedy group um, who have been making uh, videos since 2000, according to their website, thelonelyisland.com. Uh, you, you may, if you watch American television, you may recognize at least one of them. Uh, Andy Samberg, Akiva Schaefer, and I really hope I'm not mispronouncing uh, Jorma Tacone's, or Tacone's name. Mm-hmm. Someone write in and tell me that I mispronounced it. I, I mispronounced it at least once. Right. <laughs> um, uh, they are very, very funny people um, and have been on Saturday Night Live yeah. uh, as a result of getting picked up. And probably more importantly, Andy Samberg has been on Yo Gabba Gabba. Of course, that's important. That is important. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, people, uh, you know, you start creating things, uh, you know, your comedy or your music or your writing. And uh, I mean, there have been many bloggers who have gotten book deals. Sure. Based on their blogs, um, which I find impressive. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if it helps to to have a, a have, to be able to cultivate a good audience. Um, for your work and, do, and create a little buzz around it. Like, and I also thought of uh, Lonely Girl 15. Yes. Remember that? Yes, I remember that. Um, which there was a, I, I hadn't actually watched the video, but I, I became a, uh, acquainted with the show, which aired on YouTube um, from Wired Magazine. And they did a show after the, after it had been revealed that uh, it this was a, person. A scripted thing. That, yeah, that basically the uh, Jessica Rose as a young actress, um, had been basically portraying herself as, um, you know, somebody who really just needed to get out there. She had a, a kind of, um, a family that sort of encouraged her to, to keep to herself. If I'm not mistaken, it's mm-hmm. kind of the, the, the thing. And she really wanted to, uh, to get out there and, and be a little bit more, uh, open to the public and people were captivated by the story. I said, wow, really? I mean, she, she seems so nice. I, I want to be your friend. Which was presented at first as a uh, legitimate, sincere yeah. kind of, like, like, a, like it was real. It like was a video a real blog. video blog. Yeah. And as it turns out, no, it was, it was a scripted event. She was an actress playing the part of uh, this young woman who, who uh, was bearing her thoughts for the world to see. And we should maintain that that does not in any way make the video necessarily less enjoyable to watch. No, no. But the story captivated so many people's yeah. attention. Um, 
and uh, you know i think you it's sort of one of those things that you go well i mean you can really just because you make a video yourself and upload it to um one of the video sharing sites on the web doesn't mean that people aren't watching it and if you do a good job with it you know you you could capture a lot of people's interest and attention yeah um I mean, we've we've seen that go both ways, right? Of course, we've talked about the memes in the memes episode. Some some videos turn into memes. They don't necessarily uh, <laughs> allow the the uh, person in the video to leverage it in any useful way. Yeah, I think it's good that you make that distinction because people people like uh, the Tron guy. Yeah, um, that's not really what we're we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about people who are trying to make a creative endeavor, not necessarily just shoot something funny. Uh, or in extemporaneous, but it's it's the idea of leveraging the web to get content that you normally would have seen in these more traditional uh, media form factors. Uh, it's just that there's you know, like I said, you can't necessarily break into those easily. Yeah, and we're yeah we're not talking about David after the dentist, right? No, we're talking um, more we're about, talking about the scripted stuff, purpose yeah. purposefully trying to do this in an artistic way right, to gather right. attention. Um, so. We're talk- we've talked a bit about music. We've talked about video and movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should also mention that you know print is another way, another thing that uh, is can be difficult to break into, particularly Definitely. for things like let's say that you're a comic strip artist. Mm-hmm. Web comics are a big thing, and there are lots of different artists who have tried using the web to produce uh, or to publish uh, material, self-published material in many cases, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the list for this is really long. I mean, there are tons of different artists who have done this, and some of them have done art in more traditional form factors as well, like Phil Folio. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Phil Folio, who's a comic book artist, um, an artist in general, who has produced art for lots of different venues, including uh, he did the illustrations for all the uh, – for uh, some American editions of the Myth Adventures books and yes. also did the comic book series for Myth Adventures, which was written by uh, Robert Asprin. And um, yeah, they also a number of games. Yep. Uh, he and his he and his wife have both collaborated on on things like that, and the uh, Girl Genius comic. Yes, Girl Genius is the one I was specifically thinking about because he's published it online. Yep, I actually used to buy it in print form. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've been reading it online, and it's it's funny because when you said that, it reminded me of Scott McCloud, yes. who did the uh, un- understanding understanding comics series. Yes, uh, has written some really awesome. Books about what you could do with it, with comics as an art form, and he talks about the limitations of the standard strip. And I think on the web, you can do so. Well, he would argue this too. I'm pretty sure, and has that you can do so much more if you can open up the space and show art in different ways. You can tell a different kind of story. Yeah, and some artists have tried to embrace that. Some artists have been very resistant toward it, thinking that the that it's it's hard it, it's another tool to tell a story and i think some artists are more comfortable using that tool than others mm-hmm. um for example you've probably heard about the comic books maybe you actually read them you maybe you read uh comic books online or using an ipad yep. feature mm-hmm. now a lot of those comics have added features uh in them so that there's there's a little bit of action in there as well it's not just static images you you get a, a few little effects that you can add in that you wouldn't be able to do on the page, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, 
same sort of thing with web comics. The idea is that you could add more elements into your storytelling or even choose to tell a story in a totally different way that you wouldn't be able to tell if it were confined to a page. Yes. Uh, like I said, some artists do not agree with that particular approach. They think that the human, that human customers are pretty much, uh, kind of conditioned to reading comics in a very static way. Mm hmm. And that it's very hard to get people to break out of that. So it's an interesting debate that still goes on in the webcomic space. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to mention a couple of other webcomic artists. Uh, Scott Kurtz, who does PvP online. Yes. Um, he, I love PvP. PvP, yeah. Also, that, that jumped off the screen and onto the page. Yes. Released uh, print versions of a lot of his comics after they were on online. Right, yeah. He managed to, um, he started off doing, publishing his strip to the web. And uh, he was getting most of his money from uh, ad revenue. And then he began to collect strips in books and sell them, just like you would find uh, other traditional comic strips. You know, like you go to the bookstore and you look in the humor section and you're going to find all the, you know, the Garfield books and the, you know, I haven't read comic strips in so long. I'm not even going to do this because I'll date huh. myself. But at any rate, same sort of thing. You could find, you know, PVP books online. Uh, I'm sure in some bookstores as well you could purchase yes. them. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you also have Tycho and Gabe of Penny Arcade, mm -hmm. who True. are the very successful webcomic uh, creators. And uh, and again, just like the other examples we've said, both Scott Kurtz and, and Tycho and Gabe in particular have been very good at cultivating that audience and creating a community for them, not just not just a website where you read a comic strip, but a place where people actually interact. And um, they've also experimented with other forms of media. So they're not just drawing comics, but they might do a podcast. Mm -hmm. and the podcast could be about different challenges that webcomic artists face and their own perspectives on some of these debates that are within webcomics themselves. And it's pretty interesting to hear from their perspectives because, of course, these are the guys who are producing the art. Yep. Yep. Or video games. Or video games. Yes, Tycho and Gabe have made a... There's a Penny Arcade video game. Yes. I think you could get it off Xbox Live, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Um, so, but the, I, I had an, another example, something that was interesting to me, another example of a person who has a history in old media mm -hmm. who created something in new media. Okay. Joss Whedon. Ah, uh, yes. So Joss Whedon is the creator of such shows as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Firefly, also did Dollhouse. Um, he, uh, of course, he's known for writing some, you know, kind of quirky dialogue, creating very strong female characters and having sort of a, a geek perspective on culture. Uh, mm -hmm. All his characters tend to be really pop culture savvy and they very much tend to be geeks um, to some, to, you know, there's a spectrum there, right? Yes. So um, uh, anyway, uh, he created a show called Dr. Horrible. Yes. Which is a three episode story. Yes, they they created this on a very modest budget too. Right, and was which this was really impressive? I think the the it's, impetus for this was the writer strike. It wasn't was the it? writer strike, right. indeed. So the writer strike in Hollywood meant that no new content for television was going to be created during this time because the the writers guild had decided to strike. As it turns out, the networks are really good at funding a lot of these shows. Right. So when the writers are doing it themselves, you know. But you know what? I watch it, and I don't think at all that it looks like a low-budget show. No, the 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 budget for uh, Dr. Horrible was probably much higher than for your average web series. Well, that's true. Uh, and but, the people who were making it know how to make 
inexpensive stuff look really good. And it also helps when Joss Whedon has a big enough name that he's able to attract high-level talent to oh. be in his production. Oh, really? Like who? Like uh, like uh, oh, Neil Patrick Harris. Oh, yeah, him. So, yeah, uh, your average web series doesn't have Doogie Howser as the lead. Uh, <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris was, of course, the lead in Dr. Horrible. He was uh-huh. the, the title character, mm-hmm. Dr. Horrible. Uh, Felicia Day, who had been in episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in a Sears commercial, um, and also had her own web series called yes. The Guild. Uh, she was, of course, cast as the potential love interest for Dr. Horrible. Mm-hmm. And so Joss Whedon used this story to tell the the tale of a supervillain from the supervillain's perspective about why he does the things he does, how he's human just like everybody else, how he's affected by his own emotions, and what finally propels him to uh, celebrity status within the supervillain community. And it, it's an entertaining and, of course, heartbreaking story because Joss Whedon can't make anyone have a happy ending. And uh, that's another podcast, probably not for tech stuff. <laughs> but anyway, it's it, he used the web to launch this series. And he has, of course, Whedon already had a very strong fan community. Yes. From his television series mm-hmm. and, and also his work in movies. Yep. And so he had a built-in audience, right? Yes, he did. I also want to give a shout out to one of my and my wife's favorite characters, whom you didn't mention. So, Nathan Fillion, if you are listening, it was uh, me who mentioned you. Captain Hammer. Captain Hammer. Nathan Fillion, I love you too, but you know that because I've tweeted to you. Yeah, I was going to say, he probably so, already knows you. So. At any rate, he doesn't know me. <laughs> if Nathan Fillion knows me, he's doing an awfully good job at keeping that information private. Anyway, he's so... He's just going to use it against you later. He's famous for his pranks. He could you know? be. You know, he said that he might be... He would be willing to be Mal again if uh, Firefly were to be relaunched. Hey, that works in two different ways. <laughs> relaunched. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, the, this was an example of someone who had worked in old media going toward new media, and it was a huge success as far yeah. as web video series are concerned, right? Yeah. I mean, you you might look at that versus the numbers... You know, strictly from the numbers perspective versus an average TV show on an average night, you might go, whatever. But, you know, for the web, actually, with, with as much content as there is on the web and many choices you have to choose from, the show did very well. Yes. And it, in and fact, it, it, it's available on DVD now. So yep. you could actually purchase it. And I think it, I, I just wanted to add that I think it shows the viability of that as a way to a vehicle, yeah, a, a vehicle to do that. The same same kind of thing with the Battlestar Galactica mini videos that they did in between seasons. Yes, um, shows you that you can you can use that to either bolster your property or use it as a a, a different angle from which to look at it. Now, of course, not every web series that comes out is going to have the production mm-hmm. value of Doctor Horrible because no. I mean. Like we said, it's it, it was much less money than it would take to make a typical television show, but much more money than the typical web video person has at his or her disposal. Yeah. So, you know, but it does show that the web is a is a, a viable platform to get your material to an audience. Mm-hmm. And and it's like I said, there's DVD sales now. Uh, there was a big contest for people to create videos to um, to become the next uh, member of the Evil League of Evil. By the way, how did you know that? Trivia: Jonathan Strickland has a video of him as a character called the Philosophizer. Uh, if you want to do a search on YouTube for Vroom Hilda, that's Vroom with a V, uh, Vroom Hilda and the Philosophizer you will see the audition video for the Evil League of Evil. Uh, we were mentioned in the credits. We did not make one of the final five. I don't know why. We were really, really evil. They were really good. I enjoyed it. No, we weren't good. good. We were evil. evil. 
the performance was really oh, good. Oh, thank you. So anyway, uh, yeah, uh, they, that was another example of fan interaction, and mm-hmm. it really helped with the DVD sales as well. And we've seen you know other material inspired by Dr. Horrible. There are sing-along performances of Dr. Horrible that will happen, yep. kind of like the old Rocky Horror Picture Show stuff. And Funny. there's that great video that was produced as if Dr. Horrible were an 8-bit NES game. Yes, I love like that. Like an old uh, uh, NES RPG game. Uh, and we mentioned the Guild briefly. That's Felicia Day's uh, series, which is about a group of gamers who are playing a game very similar to World of Warcraft and kind of the um, the complications that arise in their lives. Yeah, and it had the the very first part of it, they they actually meet each other in the flesh instead of in the pixel. Yeah, and for it's the first a very, time. Very very awkward. That was painful for me to watch. Well, yeah, because you realize... It was a very good job, which is why. Exactly. You realize it's, painful it, for it, the... it's showing off gamers as being socially awkward. Yeah. Right. And so, I'm socially awkward, so I have a try. Exactly. So they're very good at interacting online, but once you get them in person, they have problems. And what I think is amusing, this is kind of a spoiler alert, but uh, in, in later seasons of the Guild, uh, you get a, a delicious villain played Ooh. by... A Mr. Will Wheaton, <laughs> which just shows that, you know, if your web series gets enough traction, you might actually find people who have had work in old media get interested and get involved. And, um, you know, these are just some examples. There are thousands of examples on the web. Now, granted, for the thousands of examples on the web of success, there are millions of examples of things that never went anywhere. Yes. So there's still an element of luck. There's still definitely an element of quality. If you're if you're if what you are producing is not of very good quality. If you do get famous, it's going to be for the wrong reason, yeah. right? Yep. Um, so you still have to create good quality stuff, but the web gives you that 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 access that you might not otherwise have. Especially if you're like, let's say that you're somewhere where you're far away from Hollywood or New York or any yeah. of the other centers where we think of the entertainment industry being located. You can produce this theoretically anywhere. Yep. That's so true. the web has really helped out with that. Now. Uh, if you guys have a great idea for a web series, like a comic or a video or a song, then definitely pursue that. Think about using the web as a platform. Look into people who have done it before and seen how, how they've achieved success and learn as much as you can before you just, you know, try and strike out there and throw something up on the internet. And, you know, always work at it because chances are your first attempt may not go over well. But who knows? You could end up being the next Justin Bieber. Yeah, you could. Gosh, the Beeb. Who got discovered from YouTube. By the way, uh, I just want to point this out. Unbelievable. I heard it from 50 Cent himself. Never make fun of Justin Bieber fans because they they will not accept your apology. (laughs) No, no. But no, and uh, jokes aside, and whether or not you like his music, he got picked up from YouTube. Somebody saw him. Yep. On YouTube, and now he's a very big star. Yeah, so that's it, about it, as big as you can get. It can be done. Yes. So, uh, so guys, you know, I encourage creativity. I love yep. seeing good creative work out there. And if so, nothing else, it's fun. Yeah, go do it. Yeah, just uh, you know, like I said, keep in mind that uh, that failure could still be part of the equation. But it's better to go ahead and try something and fail than to not even put forth the effort. You can like, always look at it before you post it. Yes. Yes. And uh, like I said, and again, do your research. Yeah. Find out what works mm-hmm. and what doesn't work. Don't just go into it blind. And uh, guys, that, that'll wrap up this story. If you have a particular web series or a comic or, or web artist who uses the web to, to publish his or her work, 
let us know. Let us know on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. Or shoot us an email. That address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you